Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oliver Wyman's Reinventing Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Paul Ricard. Welcome to Reinventing Insurance. Today, I welcome Albert Chu, who is the Chief Digital Officer of Sompo Holdings and a Silicon Valley veteran. Welcome, Albert. Thank you, Paul. It's great to uh, be here with you. Well, very, very excited to have you. And I think we have a lot to cover together. But maybe why don't you briefly introduce yourself first off? Yes, of course. So as you may know, I am the Group Chief Digital Officer for Sompo Holdings. And for those of you in the audience who may not know, Sampo is one of the largest insurance companies in Japan and also globally. We are a property and casualty insurance in Japan. We also have uh, life insurance in Japan. And outside of Japan, we have Sampo International, which is mostly property and casualty for commercial. Mm-hmm. And in addition to insurance in Japan, as many of you may know, is an aging, actually a super aging society. So we, Sampo, are also in the healthcare business. Specifically, our business unit, Sampo Care, owns and operates the largest chain of nursing care facilities in Japan. But anyway, that's about Sampo. Uh, I became chief digital officer uh, a year ago. And prior to that, I've been in Sampo for a total of three years. Prior to that, I uh, have been here in Silicon Valley for almost 40 years. I graduated from Stanford, yeah. uh, came from Brazil and loved it here so much. I've never left. You've seen a thing or two and, and been part of a thing or two in these 40 years. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your prior experiences and you know share a little bit about your journey? And most importantly, what have been some interesting lessons or, or takeaways from your experiences that you're putting into practice today? Yeah, happy uh, to share here. So my first job out of Stanford was at Apple. And this was, uh, to date myself, uh, 1982. I was at Apple for 14 years. I was there when Steve Jobs was there. And I left when he came back. When he was there the first time, right? When yeah, he was there the first time, right. Yeah. And um, at that time, when I joined Apple, it was a small company. I was mm-hmm. employee 3,665. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which I'm sure at the time felt probably big, but compared to today is is uh, is quite a small number, right? Exactly, especially compared to Apple today. But I, I joined Apple. I worked on many of the early projects, but one that I really was very seminal for my career was I helped introduce the Kanji Mac operating system, meaning the Japanese Macintosh OS, to the Japanese market. So 1984, 85 was my first trip ever to Japan, to Tokyo. Okay. At that time, I don't know that you would know that so well, Paul, (laughs) but in 1984, 85, Japan was the number two economy in the world. And it was a technology innovation paradise, basically. Right. At that time, I remember Steve Jobs at Apple would say that Sony was one of the companies that he admired the most. And in fact, we at Apple were early adopters of many of Sony's technologies. The first Macintosh, for example, had a three and a half inch disk disk drive, which Mm -hmm. um, in uh, in before then, all disk drives were five and floppy disks were five and a quarter inch. 
that was a smaller form factor, and we were the first one to commercialize it using Sony's technology. But that was just one of many. My first trip to Japan was uh, amazing because you could see the, you could feel the energy of technology, and it was also the era of lots of,、uh, I would say. Enthusiasm in the industry, and also not just in technology, but financial industry, real estate, etc. I remember going to the Ginza and was told that the Sony corner in the Ginza was the most expensive per square meter real <laughs> in、uh, in the world. Wow! <laughs> but that, I, I I add this detail because, as you will see later, Japan has become a major theme in my yeah. life. Yeah. Uh, we successfully introduced、uh, Macintosh into the Japanese market,、uh, and then I worked on dozens of products throughout Apple. And it was really quite—I、uh, used to think that Apple was really graduate school for me, you know, and the best graduate school you could have because you were being paid, you were、yeah. learning tremendously, and you were—I was with a group of you know very very smart. People and colleagues, and and that's one of the lessons I've learned is that who you work with, yeah, I guess the key to success, right? And Albert, you know, obviously, you know, who doesn't know about Apple nowadays? And I and I think to your point, I feel like it's become a little bit the gold standard for many、uh, around, you know, how to think about experience, customer experience. Yes,、uh, you know, I think many would say that you know many modern concepts of customer experience were born at Apple. Are there, you know, other big lessons learned around this that you're applying today、uh, to this day in your in、yeah. your day based on what you've learned there? Really insightful question here.、Um, several things. One, I learned, you know, when I was at, in 1982, Apple was a pioneer in trying to bring personal computers for everyone. And in fact, our、right. our dream, you know, vision for Apple was that everyone will one day have a personal computer、yeah. uh, in front of them. In you know whether at work or the home or at play, and only you no know, less than forty years. This is very much true. Back in 1982, it was definitely just a dream, a vision.、Right. Um, so one lesson I learned here is that dreams do come true, <laughs> and that it is never. I think never to dream too little. You know, always too big. And I think that was one of the things that has stayed with me. Another that you mentioned before is around design, and this is something that Apple was so well known for that Steve Jobs was so well known for, and design not only in the product but also in the user experience and in the customer experience. One of the design points for the Macintosh was to be able to unbox it, and without really reading a manual, be able to use it within twenty minutes and output something.、Mm-hmm. Back in 1982, in the era of IBM PCs and you know、uh, computers, personal computers of that ilk, you had to read manuals. Right, you had to take <laughs> courses. You know how to use、uh, VisiCalc at that time. I'm sure it was all, it was a rite of passage. Yeah,、well. <laughs> and and to think, yeah, exactly, and to think that you know to open up a computer, a personal computer, and be able to use it in less than half an hour, meaningful way, was. A dream, and I think we're able to accomplish that. And that is a lesson that I think transcends industries, right?、Yeah. Something that we still need to learn a lot about in the insurance and financial services industry as well. I think there's a lot more、yes. parts that can be done. That yeah, we definitely didn't didn't plan this for our audience, right? But I love how you both bringing a lot of the Japanese inspirations, both in your own journey, but for example, in the journey of 
what was on the Mac. Yes, uh, and 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 I'm sure we'll get back to this uh, in our as as we talk a little bit about your role today and and going forward. Just moving on quickly uh, from Apple, I was at Apple for 14 years. I left, as I said, in 1996 when Steve Jobs came back. I left Apple to join AT and T. That time, 1996, AT and T had just gone through a trivestiture, so it spun out Lucent. Mm-hmm. And it spun out NCR and AT&T became a sole communication services company only. Right. But it was also at the time when the internet was really uh, taking foothold here. Yep. And AT&T realized that the internet was going to completely change not only the technology base for communications, but also the business model. My role at AT&T was to help them start the Silicon Valley office, because all the internet disruption and technologies that we saw forthcoming were happening in Silicon Valley, not back in uh, New Jersey and New York, where AT&T was headquartered. And I remember so well, uh, one of my first trips uh, to the AT&T headquarters, the mothership in Baskin Ridge, is uh, meeting with uh, the head of uh, the worldwide consumer business and she was in charge of all consumer interactions and polling and surveys. And I was talking about the internet and she said, she looked at me, she listened very carefully. And then she looked at me and she said, you know, every day, I, every week I take polls with my, I'm in touch with my 75 million customers, AT&T customers. And my customers tell me that the internet is a fad. So... <laughs> You know, thank you very much for coming here, explaining what it is and what it could be. But, you know, it's just, no, just go back to where you came from. (laughs) And that story also stuck with me a lot. Right. And I think back to your point of what lessons that I'm bringing forward, you know, things that today may seem implausible can have disruptions can happen very quickly. I mean, I think. Clay Christensen and his innovators dilemma was uh, very much I was living it, you know, when I was working at AT&T. And so this is something that I also would like to keep in mind as we move into the insurance industry, because the insurance and financial industries may be one of the last bastions of, you know, old tradition, partly because we had been, we are regulated. Yeah. And so we are actually well-protected and in certain countries more regulated than others, things will change very quickly. AT&T was very much regulated now, and it happened very quickly for them to become deregulated and internet completely disrupted them. And I hope that we can be ahead of the curve in the insurance industry as an industry to uh, help anticipate the forthcoming changes and be able to actually create a better uh, society, financial future for all of us, because we can anticipate these changes in technology coming. Back to your point of dreaming big, right? Yeah, these things feel very, very different from what we where we're at today. How likely is this to happen? How close is this to us? Yeah. How much do we really need to change? I'm sure this is a challenge that you've been facing through your entire career. And I left AT&T six years later in 2002. So I was there at the dot-com bubble and then the dot-com bust. I left in 2002 to join a a company called Palm. Mm -hmm. Many of your listeners may uh, know Palm Pilot, which is a 
uh, what we call at that time an organizer or a personal digital assistant. Yeah. Very, very popular. And I joined Palms specifically to help uh, spin out the operating system away from the hardware company Palm. Mm-hmm. And so we successfully created Palm Source uh, and it was listed on NASDAQ. And the idea was that if we had a separate company that just took Palm OS, we had the vision of licensing that OS to more than just one hardware vendor and also to modernize the OS to make it into, in essence, what was a smartphone OS. Mm -hmm. After leaving Palm Source uh, Access, uh, I became an angel investor in a variety of different startups because my passion has always been to bring technology to market. And actually, many of the startups I worked with was Japanese startups helping them to come into the U.S. market. And uh, in the process of doing all of that, I got to know the chief digital officer for Sample, the first chief digital officer for Sample Holdings. And he was a friend from many years prior. And uh, he said, I'm uh, going to start a new uh, lab, innovation lab for Sample, a large insurance company in Silicon Valley, because all the major uh, uh, developments in fintech and insurtech is surely to be coming outside of Japan as well. And so he asked me to help him uh, uh, be a consultant, and we worked on many projects together. And through that experience, I got to know Sampo very well and got to see that Sampo is not your traditional Japanese company, mm-hmm. and it's not your traditional insurance company. It really had a vision for the future that I thought was very aligned with my prior experiences, whether at Apple, AT&T, or Palm, which yeah. is the future will be beyond insurance. It'll be very different than the you know what the present is. Yeah. And uh, Sample wasn't scared to invest and believe in that future. So, for example, we have a joint venture with Palantir to bring Palantir's uh, solutions into the Japanese market, which essentially puts us into a enterprise software business. Yeah. Uh, because Sample believes that the future is going to be not only insurance, but insurance plus data, insurance yeah. plus AI, and insurance plus other new businesses for which um, we can uh, you know, uh, bring to the society and change, actually, uh, many of our industries, including our nursing care industry or the insurance industry that we're right. in. So very much, I, I like the beyond insurance uh, tagline you were having as well around, you know, looking both at different businesses and, you know, different technologies that do this insurance plus. And if I look back to your journey, right? So you've been at the forefront of the, the personal computer uh, revolution, the internet revolution, the mobile web revolution. And now you're here to to take on insurance and make it a a fourth revolution that you're going to be instilling. Now that we've arrived at your current role as Chief Digital Officer of uh, of Sompo, you've started unpacking this a little bit, but tell us a little bit more about your responsibilities, your priorities as Chief Officer. So Sampo, as I said, I, I started as uh, in the middle of COVID, I joined them officially uh, in August of 2020. And uh, I was first the CEO of Sampo Digital Lab. Okay. Uh, then uh, in 2021, April 2021, I was the co-chief digital officer uh, of Sampo Group. And in 2022, April, so less than a year ago, I was um, uh, named group chief digital officer. 
Uh, I'm still based here in Silicon Valley, but I'm in Tokyo every month because that's where uh, my team mostly is at. Uh, just, uh, I think you already know this, Paul, but for your listeners, uh, we have Sample Digital Labs in Tokyo, in Silicon Valley, and in Tel Aviv, Israel. Mm-hmm. And my role is basically very simple. Uh, it is kind of two roles. Uh, one is to bring innovation into Sample. And uh, the innovations that we are bringing into Sample is in the form of a traditional, you would say, digital transformation. So this uh, to improve, for example, the efficiency of underwriters, the efficiency of our business processes, yep. to reduce cost, and also to create new products, products and services which are expanding our core business. Beyond that, I am also looking into uh, new areas, for example, in creating new businesses based on digital and data. I had mentioned earlier that we have a joint venture with Palantir in Japan. One example is we are taking uh, the Palantir Foundry platform work and, and applying it to our sample care, which as I had mentioned earlier, we own and operate the largest chain of nursing care facilities in Japan. And by largest, I mean, we have 400 nursing care facilities. We have over 80,000 residents. But even though we are the largest in terms of number of residents, uh, we're only 1.5% market share. So with 400 facilities, 1.5% market share means there are about 60,000 nursing care facilities in Japan. Now, it's a very fragmented industry. And so what that means is that mostly these nursing care facilities are owned by mom and pop type of small businesses. With uh, small businesses, one issue is that you can't really scale. Um, And especially if we want to bring technology into the nursing care industry so that we can improve quality of care and improve efficiency, it's very hard to do if you only have one or two or three facilities. Some care, you know, we're lucky because we have scale. So we use the Palantir Foundry software. We got data from all of our residents. For example, we bought 80,000 smart beds. So now we know every resident uh, how well they slept at night, what their breathing rate was, what their body temperature was, uh, whether they tossed and turned, whether they went to the bathroom and, and you know, every piece, literally by the minute, you know, data, how they slept. In addition, we have data on how the residents were eating, you know, their nutrition information, their appetite. We have uh, information about their physical activity, about the caregiver plan for each resident. We got all of this data, we put it in, the Foundry platform. And amazingly, we found some incredible insights, insights that helped us uh, improve the operation uh, efficiency of our caregivers by 20 to 30%. Mm -hmm. And so instead of one caregiver supporting three residents, now we can have the same caregiver, one caregiver support four residents with better quality of care Mm -hmm. and also better quality of uh, life for the resident. I'm sorry, for the caregiver, because they feel more relaxed about what they're doing. They're doing things in a smarter way. Uh, the insights we're getting from the data help us do some predictive analysis so that we know when a resident may be, for example, developing um, some sort of a issue, health issue, and we can anticipate that. And so now uh, we can provide better care for the residents as well. Now, this is operational efficiency of 20 to 30%. We, if we can apply it to the 
rest of the nursing care industry in Japan, not only to our 400 sample care facilities, but the 60,000, that's a new business for us. And right. that's what we plan to do. And it's part of uh, my role as chief digital officer together with our business units um, to uh, create new businesses that take uh, activities we did as digital transformation, yep. spending it and creating new businesses for us beyond that. So basically you have digital transformation, which has a lot of the, I'm going to say, nearer term opportunities yes. for efficiency, for uh a higher value add in your in your existing businesses and then you also have you know new new business opportunities potentially that can derive from these digital transformation initiatives like what you mentioned with with nursing care so both of these are are under your, your purview today exactly and of course i do this in collaboration with all of our business units we actually collaborated with uh oliver wyman to come up with uh what we call this three horizon strategy right the mm-hmm. The horizon one, which is the near term, as you said earlier, is the next one to two years is digital transformation. How do we take innovations and apply it in horizon one? Uh, Based on horizon one, some of these uh, uh, learnings and things we're using internally can become horizon two opportunities, which is like in the nursing care example, taking uh, uh, what we have done in our nursing care facility, excelling as a business in the software as a service to the other nursing care facilities. Right. And that's kind of a horizon two effort. It's uh, what we call real data platform initiative that we have. Yeah. Yeah. And beyond that, we have a horizon three, which is really looking at uh, what I call exponential technologies. And I think it uh, dovetails well with um what I think I have heard uh, you and Oliver Wyman talk about the age of acceleration. Right. Um, in fact, I think it's almost two sides of the same coin, right? Yeah. Uh, the exponential technologies are really driving a lot of the, the this age of acceleration. Mm-hmm. For us, it's in the area of what we're looking at right now, our Web3 and generative AI. Mm-hmm. Everyone's looking at that, of course. <laughs> um, but examining specifically, for example, what is the role of insurance and reinsurance in yeah. a world of a Web3 economy? Yeah. Um, and this is where, you know, back to the earlier conversation, mm-hmm. today it's like 1987, uh, <laughs> or, I'm sorry, 1984, when I was at Apple uh-huh. and had the dream that everyone have a personal computer. Yeah. And that time was just a dream. Is Web3 going to be uh, 20 or 30 years from now, what is the internet going to be like? We don't know. And I, I would almost say whatever we think today is probably not enough, right? Yeah. So many people, uh, so I, 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 it also, when I talk about Web3 or other uh, uh, exponential technologies, I get the same reaction I did when I was at AT&T and said the internet is a fad. Well, yeah. it may or may not be, but at the time, I, I had I've seen that movie before. <laughs> exactly. And somebody who says with a lot of credibility, I, I talk to my you know 90 million customers every week and says the internet is a fad. It makes yeah. you wonder whether you are right, right? Yeah. Um, or, or nobody nobody said that they wanted a device that made phone calls, uh, listened to music, and browsed the internet at the same time. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so can all happen very quickly. Yeah. And I think the macro environment now is happening very quickly. Uh, and so it's very likely that disruption may come in yeah. and 
in a very unexpected and rapid way. And I love the, the term exponential technologies. I feel like it really embeds the potential behind these and, and the speed at which uh, these concepts can disrupt uh, yes. industry or, or market. You know, in a, you mentioned the partnerships. You mentioned yes. partnership, for example, with, with reinsurers. And I believe in, in your labs also, I believe you partner with fintechs and intratechs. I think you mentioned that as well. In addition to these external partnerships, which seem critical for you to do a lot of pilots and experimentations at, at once, can you tell us a little bit more about how you also... Uh, bringing the right folks inside uh, Sompo and how you're making sure to build conviction around pursuing these different types of experimentations yes. uh, within the organization. Really insightful points, uh, Paul, because one of the roles that I also have is uh, to bring uh, digital uh, education and awareness and talent mm-hmm. to Sompo. Example is, I think, like many of our colleagues uh, uh, in the insurance industry, is a very traditional company. We have over 138-year history. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have 75,000 employees worldwide. Yeah, and um, you know, many of them have done things uh, in a very, in a way that is uh, not digital. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we are trying to change the way they work and the way yep. they think. Uh, so this whole mindset change, it's not just about bringing outside talent in, which is, of course, what uh, in the digital lab we do. We hire a lot from the outside industry to bring that expertise in, yep. many of whom, like me, do not have any insurance experience, <laughs> uh, but also to uh, help the current team members, uh, the, the ex- insurance experts, uh, become have more of a digital mindset, have more of what I would call a Silicon Valley mindset. And uh, I was told that, you know, there is the culture of um, kind of conservatism in at least at Sompo and maybe in many Japanese insurance companies, because we are regulated and we have to be basically correct every time when we have a responsibility. And, and I absolutely respect that. And, and I think that is true in, in many parts of the insurance industry, to your point, because it is regulated and, you know, because it, it is also, I think, important to do right by your customer. And there's a lot yes. of things that you need to make sure you take all the right boxes yes. uh, versus, you know, rushing to getting something out there that may do wrong by your customer or obviously maybe regulatory poorly done as well. Exactly. So that does not mean we should just keep doing the same thing right. all the time forever, right? right. Uh, we should also uh, be applying some new, as new technologies come in, as sure. honestly as our customers are demanding more and more uh, digital solution, we, um, sure. uh, we are having more and more digital natives becoming our customers and they do not want to call an agent anymore. They want to do everything online. Uh, We have to adapt to that as well and and adapt fast. And so can you give us a few examples of how you've done this uh, successfully? One example is, as I mentioned before, we have chief digital officers in each of our business units. And and I'm sure this is also typical of very large companies. Uh, Each of our business units have traditionally been very much what we call stovepipes, right? Yeah. They they um, do not often collaborate or share across the business units. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that uh, 
I have done is I have created a CDO alliance within Sample. And so that is getting all the CDOs from our business units together with other digital executives. For example, digital marketing. Nowadays, marketing is all mostly digital. Right. So they, uh, the digital marketing executive and others are part of the CDO alliance within Sample. And we gather on a regular basis, on a quarterly basis to share uh, and uh, not only best practices, but also to help each other solve our you know, collective pain points. Right. And we have found that as a result of that, there are things that um, each of them can help each other out, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's uh, Sample Japan with Sample International or even with um, uh, our life insurance or, or our nursing care business, there are digital touch points which are common across everybody. And, and, and in a way that you can break these stovepipes or, or silos yeah. to an extent as well. Exactly. And another example is we just uh, had earlier this month uh, the first, uh, uh, we call it the Sample Digital Showcase. And yeah. it's really kind of, uh, my vision of it was like a mini uh, CES. Mm-hmm. Or uh, if you have gone to CES, you probably went to Eureka Park, which is where the you know early startups innovate, innovations yeah. were there. And uh, so wanted to recreate a little bit of a mini CES just within Sample. Mm-hmm. So we uh, had in our auditorium, uh, in Tokyo, uh, we had uh, 20 booths and um, each business unit showcased some of their key digital initiatives. And so we had um, over, I think, a thousand people attend within a three hour window. Mm-hmm. And it was when you walked into that environment, it felt like you were walking into uh, Las Vegas uh, mm-hmm. to the CES show. It, people were buzzing. They were excited to see that they're not only to show off their digital uh, initiatives that they're working, but to see that others are doing this. And as a result of that, um, they had actually a lot of interactions. We had people coming in from the field. We had uh, people coming in from all the businesses. Mm-hmm. All this for those who couldn't attend, of course, this was all uh, uh, filmed and uh, we put it into a little kind of a VR environment so people can experience it. And, you know, one more thing I'm curious about, Albert, in your current role is, you know, you mentioned, you know, more Horizon 1 items around digital transformation, Horizon 2 with the real data platform, for example, Horizon 3 with exponential technologies. How, um, I, I think one thing that I often see, you know, chief digital officers struggling with is the balance between the short-term imperatives, which are oftentimes linked to pretty clear financial metrics. Yes. Uh, and then the longer-term bets and ambitions, which, as we've discussed, needs to be some sort of a portfolio because you don't know what's going to really pan out, but you need to hedge your bets to an extent. Yes. So I'm sure that's probably something you've, you've experienced through the years. And, and I'd be curious to know how you're you're balancing this and helping the organization be balance between these these competing objectives. I'm lucky at Sample that I have CDOs in each business unit. Yeah. These CDOs in each business unit are primarily focused around Horizon One, and um, and so they are accountable mostly for each of their uh, DX metric impact for each business. Um, 
that gives me some time to look at the horizon two and horizon three in a way that can also support them because then they, when, when um, new businesses come up or uh, these new uh, exponential technologies bring new opportunities, we can then work together so that they can be ready to, to, to catch the new opportunities as well. There's both the shared responsibility at the top of the house, if I can yeah. use that expression, but also through the education and training and, and engagement. It's almost, again, if I can use an expression, there's a bit of a grassroots effort also of you know everybody leveling up, right? Yes. When it comes to digital expertise, digital ways of working and so on. And, and both of these things are working together towards yeah. these horizons one, two, and three. Sampo is a company that is, our tagline is we are a theme park for uh, security, health, and well-being. I and absolutely we, love that tagline, by the yeah, way. Yeah, and, and with that, what that means is that we are, uh, our purpose is to transform society to bring more security, more health, and kind of have well-being for all of our customers. Back to the beyond insurance as well. Which is the beyond insurance part. As well, right? And, yeah. and uh, uh, so if you peel the onion a little bit, digital is going to be, and data are going to be key uh, uh, components of making that happen. And so there is that understanding of, yes, we need to invest in digital. We need to uh, create new digital products and not be um, scared of it. And so that's why we've been able to do the joint venture with Palantir. That's why we've been able to create this uh, nursing care efficiency that if we didn't have this purpose and conviction, we would have never been able to do. Agility with purpose. I love the the two uh, the two words put together. So, Albert, if we look forward, uh, and we obviously we have touched on many of these points already, but you know, you talked a little bit about Web three and generative AI as part of these exponential technologies, and uh, you know, we talked about the the age of acceleration, right? Which I think yes. is is something uh, at Oliver Wyman we believe quite a bit in. We're we're in, we're at an age where there's a lot more happening across all the fronts uh, at once, and it's happening faster than it ever has. So maybe let me start here. How do you think uh, today is different versus similar to what you've experienced before in the previous big revolutions that you've been a part of? Things are moving faster. You know, when I was uh, in my previous jobs, uh, whether it was at Apple or AT&T, it, there was none of this. Uh, 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 we could say, "Oh, the internet is coming. The internet is coming," and then you would wait a, a few years, and then right. these things were coming. Now right. we say, "Oh, generative AI will change our industry," and in months, you know, we see results. Right. right? So I the think the future is now. Basically, the future is now. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of what we're doing at Sample, a lot of what we're doing in Japan in the area of aging can be brought to uh, others. Yeah. That's just one example of a societal issue, aging. Another is uh, climate change. Japan, yeah. I, I'd like to say it's a country of natural disasters. There are typhoons and earthquakes and Fukushima nuclear disasters, et cetera. Right. Right. And uh, climate change is not going to uh, decrease. If anything, it's going to accelerate. And that's going to be a global issue. So Japan, again, being on the forefront is has been able to deal is dealing with all this and we hope to bring 
uh, technology to solve many of these issues and bring the lessons learned out of Japan. What do you foresee? What, maybe what are your your biggest uh, personal bets on you know how the world is going to to evolve in the next? I was going to say five to ten years, but with <laughs> what we said, maybe three to five years yeah. might be a bit more so, appropriate. Uh, and, and, and what role do you think Sampo will play in this? Yeah. I think the aspiration, let me take the last part. I think the aspiration of Sample is to be a, a, a key player in uh, globally in some of these societal changes that I talked about, like aging, yeah. uh, climate change, res resilience, et cetera. Um, I think as an industry, especially financial uh, and uh, insurance industries, um, with all the you know for example just recently we've had three bank failures here in the u.s right and who would have expected it to happen so right. quick silicon valley bank basically disappeared in 40 hours right um and so this many are saying well you know the financial system today is uh needs to change you know yeah. We can do it the traditional way, you know, add more regulations or whatever. Uh, but maybe th there will be a major shift in this space. Um, so one of the bets that I'm thinking is that uh, in the insurance and in the financial industry, there will be some very systemic changes. Uh, I think much of that may be brought in by Web3, uh, yeah. by having more decentralized uh, uh, institutions. Um, and I think, you know, it's not going to be, it, it, it will be, you know, a move towards that, but the move may happen quickly. Uh, and so one of the bets that we're looking at is how is it that in the future of a Web3 economy, of a decentralized economy, uh, what is the role for insurance? How can we uh, facilitate uh, to make the world, the financial world, a more secure place for all of our customers? Albert, it's been absolutely terrific discussing all of these things with you and, and unpacking your journey. Uh, I think we've heard a lot of words of wisdom from you through, uh, throughout this podcast, but I always like to ask for any final words of wisdom from my guests. Oh. So over to you, any, any final words of wisdom? Well, I, I actually would, um, you said, uh, you used the word journey. Uh -huh. And uh, one of the, when I was, Starting at Apple, you know, one of the uh, kind of uh, quotes that we always had is the journey is the reward. And uh, that has stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is uh, true. It has been true through the decades. Uh, so my final word of words of wisdom is the, let's just remember the journey is the reward. We should savor and, and make every moment, every day special because it's part of a journey. And that is my final thought for you. That was great for final thought. Albert, thanks so much uh, for your time. Thanks so much for joining us today. It was Thank a you. Thank you for having me and uh, looking forward to more collaborations. Likewise. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, that was Albert Chu, Chief Digital Officer of Sumbo Holdings. Uh, I'm Paul Ricard, your host. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. For more information about our Reinventing Insurance series, you can find everything on our website at oliverwayman.com slash reinventinginsurance. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.